What can women do to take better care of their urogenital health? Most of it is going to the doctor and screening. There's no magic medicine. There's no cream or ointment or anything that you can put in. I mean, it's really just taking care of yourself, your whole self. That's one of my big pushes is trying to educate patients to listen to their bodies and not be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand when you think that something is wrong. That's why doctors are here. That's why we exist. Welcome to the Sick Mom Guide podcast. If my mom can do it, you can too. Hi, I'm your host, Jen Hardy. I've got seven children, ages 6 to 28, and multiple chronic illnesses. And I've started this podcast to give a voice to moms with chronic illness. And right now, our voice is talking about cancer. Today, I am going to be talking to Dr. Noah Goldman. And if you're wondering why I'm interviewing a man about this topic, stick around because I discuss that at the end. First, before we get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about who he is. Dr. Goldman is a board-certified and fellowship-trained gynecologic oncologist, He serves in the role of Associate Professor and Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs, Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Women's Health, and is the Associate Division Director of the Division of Gynecologic Oncology at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School and Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. He has done so many things. I will have his full bio in the show notes and on the website. He is an amazing man. Not only that, but he's very personable. And I look forward to talking to him. So without further ado, here he is. Well, Dr. Goldman, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, I want to start out by asking you, what made you decide to go into gynecology? Um, It's actually an interesting question. People ask that all the time, especially since I'm a man in a predominantly women-driven field at this time. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a surgeon. I liked using my hands. I was always good at that sort of thing. Um, I didn't really like general surgery. I felt like uh, people came to them, they operated on them, and then they didn't see them ever again. There was no follow-up. I did my OBGYN rotation, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, we do a lot, of, especially GYN oncology, there's a big medical component as well as a surgical component. And so get to do a lot of medicine as well. I also follow the patients. Once I start taking care of them, uh, they're with me for anywhere between five and 10 years uh, after, you know, we start the process. And so, you know, it's really great to have that continuing care as opposed to just, you know, being a technician and operating and then leaving kind of thing. I looked you up like I would look up a doctor that I was going to go see. And so I I scoped out all your reviews and everything. Everybody says you are the man to see and that you really do care. So it's great to hear that from you too. Um, Yeah, because I had to find out, you know, if I was going to interview you and have you talking to people, I had to make sure that other people liked you too, and they love you. How long have you been practicing? Um, I have been practicing. I've been out of training since 2003. Um, I did a residency from 96 to 2000 and a fellowship from 2000 to 2003. So I've been out for, you know, out on my own for about 15, 16 years. Okay. And what kind of changes have you seen in gynecology since you started? Oh, there's been, uh, there's been a fair amount actually, mostly in, um, the development of 
some of the um, screening tests, HPV for cervix cancer. Um, there's been a lot of changes in um, screening for genetic abnormalities and genetic predispositions to cancer. Um, in my field, in terms of treatment, there's been a lot more of what we call biologic treatments where we're looking at receptor treatments as opposed to just, um, you know, regular sort of old-fashioned chemotherapy. Um, so there's been, a, there's been a fair amount of change, all, all of it good, um, all of it making easier to detect cancers earlier or prevent them entirely. When you have a cancer, uh, you know, something that works better than just sort of old-fashioned chemotherapy. I had asked a bunch of people what they wanted me to ask you. So I asked all over social media and everything. So we have some of those questions. And one of them was, um, what are some holistic approaches to cancer treatment? So that, that would go in really well right here with what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so I would tell you that uh, there's not a lot in terms of holistic treatments. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of myths out there. I think there's a lot of people who like to make um, money off of the fear of, of having cancer. And so, you know, people will try anything. You know, there's uh, people who said they'll make you um, bioidentical vitamin packages that are going to make your body fight the cancer. And while I don't mind if people try that uh, and you know, I do try to explain to them that, that this may not be uh, right for them. I, I do believe that the more traditional approaches with surgery, chemotherapy, what with radiation therapy, what we have available are the ways to treat patients. They can use that stuff as an adjunct, but I, I wouldn't recommend that as a, a sole treatment. I have unfortunately seen people go that route and not be particularly successful. And I think the people who tell you that they are successful are an exception rather than a rule to, to treating these cancers. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. Um, and then along that line too, um, somebody asked me about, um, you know, we hear all these things about things that cause cancer, like exposure to carcinogen, you know, chemical carcinogens and RF radiation and all these different things. Um, and she said, she asked if you have any reading that you would recommend or anywhere people could research where they could get valid answers because there's so many things floating out there that aren't right. true. Right. I, you know, I don't know that there is any one sort of, you know, end all be all, uh, kind of document that explains stuff. I know that there are clusters everywhere. If you look out on Long Island, for example, there are, um, you know, there are big breast cancer clusters and they wonder if it's, you know, if it's geographically located or not. Um, no one's come up with an answer as to what you can avoid and what you can't avoid. Um, you know, there's always a paper or two every year that comes out about one thing. First, there was too much caffeine or too much soy or, you know, you know, you should drink more green tea or you shouldn't drink any green tea. And, 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 you know, for every paper that comes out that says that there's something that you should avoid, you know, there's another paper that comes out that says that that's okay. Um, so it's really hard to tell somebody, you know, that there's one thing, um, that you should avoid. Obviously, you know, smoking is a huge, you know, risk factor for lots of different things. And so, you know, you stay away from that. And then after that, it's sort of everything in moderation. Um, you know, 
you know, don't too much, uh, you know, too much of a good thing kind of, kind of deal. Um, but yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing to really avoid. Um, and if you look at a lot of the studies, a lot of the studies are done in, you know, animal models and they, they, when you get down to the nitty gritty of the study, you know, and they say, oh, well, you shouldn't eat, you know, too much tofu because tofu has a lot of soy in it and soy is going to be a problem. Well, if you look at the studies where they did that, they fed, you know, rats or whatever, you know, tofu, you'd have to eat, you know, three blocks of tofu three times a day for, you know, two years to get the amount of soy and estrogen from the soy that these poor rats got. And so it doesn't always correlate to, you know, human beings. Okay. Well, that, you know, that's really good to know. Cause I know there's so many things out there that seem so scary, you know, and every time you turn around, you know, the air's not safe to breathe and the water's not safe to drink and our food's not safe to eat. And you know, what are we supposed to do? So, right. so right. that's, that's really good to just know, just relax. Right. Yeah. And, I think, I think, you know, you know, obviously as a physician, you know, promote, you know, healthy eating, healthy lifestyle, um, you know, but it doesn't mean you can't, you know, ice cream Sunday. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, have a, have a, have a cup of coffee in the morning. I mean, it's, you know, it's when you start, you know, drinking, you know, eight and 10 cups of coffee every day that, you know, potentially that can cause, cause issues. But, but even then, you know, no one really knows the true answer to that. Okay. All right. So getting back to the medical side, how important is it for a woman to have her yearly pap or screening tests done? Well, that is the key to everything, right? So the screening test is just that. It is something that allows the physician and the patient, for that matter, um, to get in the door if necessary. So if, if you're screening, um, then you're finding people who don't need anything and can go on their merry way. And you're finding someone who actually needs treatment or needs something more to confirm that they don't have anything bad. Most of these screening tests are, you know, are not uh, particularly inconvenient. Um, you know, I mean, programs aren't great. You know, having your GYN exam, um, you know, doesn't seem like a lot of fun. But, you know, once a year to do that, um, to prevent what could be, you know, a lifetime of, of problems is, it seems worth it to me. And so, um, getting screened is probably my biggest, you know, as we were talking about before patient education and getting screened and seeing the doctor, you know, it's, it, you know, a couple of days out of your life to, to prevent a lifetime of issues seems like a, seems like a pretty fair trade-off to me. So I, I think it's the end all be all, um, you know, pap testing now, seeing your gynecologist, if your pap test is normal, usually people don't have to, um, they may have to have an exam, but they don't have to have a pap test again for three to five years once it's normal. Um, you know, mammograms, you know, the, the newest recommendations for women over 50 is every other year. So you're still, you know, not, it's not a, a, a pretty, it's not a very burdensome, burdensome uh, uh, thing to go get screened. So it's, it's a really big deal for me. Okay. And yeah. And, and then another question um, from one of my friends was, is a breast self-examination just as good as getting a mammogram done? 
So while it's important, it's really, it's not the, it's not the, the ultimate. So I, I, you need everything in combination. So um, breast self-examination, yearly examination of the breast by a physician, and then the mammogram. And all three of those things are what go into um, cancer prevention. And just doing a breast self-exam is not going to pick up everything. Um, there are a lot of women who find um, breast masses and that ultimately turn out to be cancer on their breast self-exam. And that's why we ha encourage women to do that. Um, but there are certainly women who, who do it and don't feel anything and then find it either through their physician or through a mammogram. Okay. And about how many cases of breast cancer are discovered every year? So breast cancer is one of the top three in terms of cancer in women. So it's about 200,000 new breast cancer cases every year. Okay. And then for the other female cancers? So for gynecologic cancers, the most common is, is uterine cancer, and that's followed by uh, ovary and cervical cancer. But uterine is the most common, but all told between all all of the different organs. It's only about 100 to 110,000 cases every year. See, and I think that's a little bit comforting because, you know, we hear the word cancer and we just think, oh, it's behind, lurking behind every corner, right? right? And so it's nice to know this isn't like 10 million people a year. Right. There's almost 400 million people in the United States, right? 200 million plus are women. Actually, there's more women than men. And, and only, you know, a few hundred thousand actually get cancer. And so while it's really important to find it because it can do a lot of damage, it's more unusual than you think. But yet we turn around and everyone, you know, everyone knows somebody. I had talked to somebody about the uterine cancer and, and most people know about breast cancer, you know, feeling a lump or whatever, but um, cervical cancer is one of the ones that, that we hear about a lot. And what are some of the warning signs for that? So cervix cancer doesn't have a lot of warning signs. Um, you know, you know, so uterine cancer, you know, there was actually a study that came out just recently that, that showed, you know, 90 to 95% of women will have some sort of abnormal bleeding. Uh, and, and that, is what brings them into the doctor for uterine cancer. For cervix cancer, that's the, the whole point of, of the pap testing, is that you can find it either in a precancerous or early stage cancer. Um, and so there are some warning signs. Um, again, abnormal bleeding, something you should be seeing your doctor for. Uh, abnormal vaginal discharge, something you should be seeing your doctor for. Um, but those are things that would send you in Anyway, there's nothing specific to cervix cancer. Uh, the pap test and the screening process is really what drives um, the diagnosis of cervix cancer and what has actually um, turned those numbers to where there's very few. There's only about 13,000 new, 12 to 13,000 new cervix cancers diagnosed every year. Um, and that's because we have a, such a robust screening process. The unfortunate tale is older women who believe that once they've had their children, they don't need to see, you know, and they're feeling good. They may only see their internist. They may not go back to their gynecologist because the gynecologist is for delivering babies and they're not having babies anymore. And those women usually end up with more advanced stage um, cervix cancer because they ignore the symptoms and they haven't gotten screened. And so nobody knows until until they come in with something more scary. Okay. And along that line, what are, are, are there other symptoms that a woman might be having that may 
say to you, oh, this is, we may need to screen for another kind of cancer that sure. people are unaware of? Sure. So, you know, besides uterine cervix, the other big cancer is, is ovary cancer. Um, and unfortunately, because the ovaries are inside the body, it's very hard to, um, and they're small, it's very hard to screen. Uh, but some symptoms that, that patients may have, uh, abdominal pain and bloating, urinary symptoms where they're going more frequently, um, um, even, even again, abnormal bleeding, those, those are symptoms where women should go in and check in with their doctor. An all too common tale is a woman who, uh, you know, just doesn't feel right. Her stomach doesn't feel right. Um, she sees her internist, the internist gives her something for reflux. You know, they wait a couple of weeks, four weeks, doesn't go away. They send them to the gastroenterologist, the gastroenterologist does some testing, and then they finally get a CT scan somewhere, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks down the road. And she already has an advanced uh, ovary cancer because those are what that's what's causing those those symptoms and so if you get there earlier um, you potentially diagnose it earlier um, unfortunately now you know ovary cancer is still diagnosed the majority of ovary cancers are still diagnosed in a later stage um, the good news is that you know some of the new treatments are uh, are, are working well to to help to cure these patients more than we have in the past so uh, that's a good lead in. What are some of the newer treatments that you're seeing? Um, so a lot of the new treatments we, we use are, are what we call biologic treatments, treatments that are look that are, um, are, or more targeted therapies, I guess is the best way to describe it. So receptors on cells that, uh, that are specific targets to drugs. Um, one of the, the big drugs is a drug called Bevacizumab, which is a Vastin, which was just approved for use in recurrent um, ovary cancer, um, as well as in cervical cancer. Um, there are immunotherapies that are being trialed now, are intriguing monoclonal antibodies that attack specific receptors, again, that are being developed. Uh, there's a group of drugs called PARP inhibitors that are really uh, effective, especially in women who have a genetic predisposition like BRCA. Uh, and so all of those have started to come out in the last you know, five to seven years and, and are really um, beginning to look like they're going to be effective. Well, that's good. I know in the city that I live in, there's a proton treatment facility that's right. being built yeah. here. What's your opinion on that? Because I'm, I'm just curious because they're right up the road. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. And hopefully you never need them. Radiation therapy is useful in, in some of the cancers that I treat, um, whether it be proton beam therapy or just sort of the regular electron beam therapy. Um, I don't know that one is necessarily better than the, the other. Um, I know the people who have the proton machines want to promote that. The standard sort of electron beam is work works just as well. All right. And what can women do to take better care of their urogenital health? Most of it is going to the doctor and screening. I mean, there's no magic medicine. There's no cream or ointment or anything that you can put in. I mean, it's really just taking care of yourself, your whole self. That's one of my big pushes is trying to educate patients to listen to their bodies and not 
be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand when you think that something is wrong. That's why doctors are here. That's why we exist. While sometimes it's embarrassing, you know, coming to see us and, you know, even if it's nothing, I would rather you come to see me and me tell you you're fine than you not come to see me and me ask you, you know, when you finally come, you know, or say, wow, I wish you, you know, or, or think, well, I wish you had come, you know, three months earlier or six months earlier or a year earlier. Um, so I, I think it's listening to your body, you know, and knowing that if there's something wrong, we're here to help take care of you. But you have to get into us. We unfortunately can't drive around and pick you up. If we, if <laughs> yeah. And you were saying, so it would be good even if they came in three months earlier. So would, would a time frame like three months, would that make a difference with some of these cancers? Well, you know, it really depends. Um, you know, for, for something like an ovary cancer, it might. You know, for something like a more advanced uterine cancer, it might. Three months is a short Time frame. I have plenty of patients who they're, you know, 60, 70 years old and they say, oh, yeah, I was bleeding for about a year, a year and a half. And, you know, they finally told their daughter and, you know, their daughter was like, you have to get in to see the doctor. And, you know, that then we start down the path. Um, so they know they just don't want to, you know, they feel like eh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's supposed to happen. And you have to, you know, impress upon people that, you know, this, this stuff isn't supposed to happen. Again, it's all about education. Abnormal bleeding. That is not normal. And we should get that checked out. Yeah. I mean, you know, and again, it's knowing your body, right? So you know what your menstrual cycle is like. Yes. Over time, it will change a little bit, but even so, you know, women know when they're supposed to get their period, what their, what their cycle is like. So any change in that needs to be investigated. You know, if you're 27 and you, you know, skip a period or you have an extra cycle earlier than you think, um, probably not as big a deal as if you're 47 and that's happening. Any bleeding, you know, in between cycles, any really change in your bleeding pattern where you're bleeding heavier and especially after you've reached menopause, any bleeding at all needs to be investigated. Um, and most times I, I'll tell you that, you know, we only diagnose uterine cancer with women who have postmenopausal bleeding about 10% of the time, but you don't want to be one of that 10%. So, you know, it's, right. it's better to come in and get checked out. Okay. So what advice would you give women about their bodies? And it's funny coming from a man, but I think you have a unique perspective, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a little hard. You know, I always feel a little weird about, you know, Telling women, you know, what I think they should do with their bodies. It's just about knowing yourself and knowing what's normal for you. Taking the initiative to, you know, seek help if there is something that just doesn't feel right to you. We're not mind readers, so we can't know, um, you know, what's going on. Just knowing, you know, about yourself and, and, and what's normal for you. And then knowing that if something doesn't feel right to, to be seen. Okay. That is really good advice. Okay. And then I have a random question that doesn't go in with, with any of the other ones. So I'm just going to ask it's another one that somebody asked me to ask you. Sure. Um, and it's about hysterectomies, which mm-hmm. is interesting because it's something that I seem to have noticed in my research too. Are there more hysterectomies now than there used to be? I think there's fewer. 
than there used to be. You hear more about them because of, you know, for the same reason that, you know, you hear more about everything now because there's access to, to media and life 24 seven. There are various types of hysterectomies. Um, I would tell you that, you know, I make my living off of doing hysterectomies and I certainly tell women when they do and don't need them. Um, there are plenty that that don't. The biggest thing uh, about hysterectomies now is the advances in minimally invasive surgery. And so the, the need to have one of those big open incisions um, has really gone by the wayside. And most women should um, try to get either a vaginal hysterectomy or a laparoscopic hysterectomy and do something where it's a, a less invasive approach if they need it. Um, there's so much technology out there now that that a lot of women just don't need to have it. And there are some other, you know, less invasive techniques that can be used to take care of some of the problems. Um, some women just need a hysterectomy. There's no going around about it. There's lots of options. Um, but in the end, you know, that's, that's the definitive treatment. And so usually when I'm counseling patients, I go through everything and I say there's a spectrum, right? And on the one hand is, you know, medical therapy and, and doing some, different sort of less invasive things. And on the other hand is, is surgery, which includes hysterectomy. And some, some women go, you know, sort of a roundabout route and try some other things um, and end up sort of at hysterectomy. Other women are like, I don't want to deal anymore. And they, they opt for the, you know, the most definitive treatment initially. And it really depends. Is there anything else that you want people to know about? Yeah, I, I mean, no, I think we covered a lot of stuff. I think really, um, you know, my, like I said in the beginning, my big push is about education and, and, and patients knowing um, not only what's out there, but, but you know, what, what some of the signs are. Um, I think screening is really important, as we discussed. I think there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of patient education materials. The Society for uh, Gynecologic Oncology has a website that, um, you know, has a lot of patient um, access information. The Foundation for Women's Cancer has a whole website that's dedicated to the various cancers and, and how they're treated and how to find somebody in your area. So there's a lot of materials out there that people can access. Well, that's good. And you're giving us good, legitimate places to go. And I'll put links for those in the show notes and on the website so yeah. people can have a place to click instead of just Googling and end up heaven knows where. Right. Well, you know, the, 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 the medical degree from Google is always, uh, uh, you know, a difficult one to, to, to combat against, but yeah, I, I mean, there are, there are lots of good websites that'll give you, you know, sort of unbiased information and then, you know, you're able to make a more educated decision. Right. Which is good because that's what we want to do, right? We want to we want to be educated as much as we can, and then come to you, and have right. you fill in the gaps and give us your advice, and right. ultimately decide maybe together with a little bit more of your influence since you've studied a little bit longer than any of us would have. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I definitely think it's a kind of a, a joint effort. The days of the the doctor being like, "This is what you need," and this is, you know. I'm doing it tomorrow and this is the, the deal kind of thing have, have gone by the wayside. I, I really think that patients need to be um, involved in their care. I think they need to be happy with their decision and comfortable with their decision. Um, 
you know, they're already so scared. So, you know, having some control in, you know, what's going on with them is, is extremely important. The last question is, what is your superpower? So it's funny. I've, I've stressed about this question for like a week trying to figure out, you know, what I should say. You know, I think, I think if I had a superpower, there's so many great ones. Um, you know, I, I really thought about being invisible, but that's kind of creepy too, because you, you know, people would think that's a little weird. I definitely think flying is probably one of my top things, because then I wouldn't have to drive anymore. I could just go wherever I wanted, whenever there I wanted. There you go. That's great. I think my, my best power, at least in the medical field, is I, I'm very calming. I feel like patients always feel better after I'm done talking to them. So I think, and it's a nice thing. To, to be. They come in, they're very stressed out, they're very anxious, and when they leave, they at least have a sense that they're going to get taken care of. So I call that my superpower. Well, that that is a superpower because especially in your particular specialty, that's not easy to do. So that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Goldman, thank you again for taking the time to Absolutely. talk to me and answer all these questions. And um, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you again, Dr. Goldman, for joining me today. It is so nice to hear a doctor talk about the importance of people knowing their body, especially women, because unfortunately, I can tell you from personal experience that it is not easy to find a doctor, especially for women for some reason, who appreciates the fact that we do know our bodies and when something's wrong, we do want to get it looked into. So thank you so much for being that way, first of all, and for letting other people know how important it is. If you regularly listen to this podcast, you may be wondering why I interviewed a man for this topic. I typically only interview women, specifically moms with chronic illness, but I reached out to the Foundation for Women's Cancer and asked their opinion about what oncologists to interview because I didn't know one personally that I would trust to bring here. And Dr. Goldman is the first one that they recommended, and that's who I went with, and that is why. And I found the interview to be absolutely wonderful. He obviously knows and cares for women's bodies, and that is wonderful. And yes, he is married to a woman who deals with breast issues. And so together, they just have the full circle of helping women, which I think is awesome. I want to thank you again for joining me today because your time is also valuable. And I love that you're spending it here with me so much. My music is A New Day by Scott Holmes. I look forward to talking to you next week. We are going to start a new series on organization. We're going to get everything together before those holidays hit us. And I look forward to talking to you then. 